Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. At Set for Life Radio, one thing I will never be is a pastronaut. What is a pastronaut? A pastronaut is a pastor that launches from one verse of the Bible and never comes back again. I'm not going to do that. At Set for Life Radio, we go line by line, verse by verse, and that's the way it's always going to be. So in the previous chapter, Elijah had all the prophets of Baal executed because they would not repent. They were wicked, hard-boiled, wouldn't turn. And so now Jezebel's going to find out about it, and it's going to set her off here in 1 Kings 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Okay, Elijah heard he had 24 hours to live, and so he ran off. He took off in fear, which is pretty surprising to those of us who've been reading the story here, because he had told the poor widow, do not be afraid. He told Obadiah, do not be afraid. He'd been pretty bold up until now. So we're left here wondering why did Elijah run off like this? Why was he so scared after all the provision and all the protection that God had given to him all this time? Verse 3 says that Elijah left his servant there in the area of Judah because he wanted to get off alone to himself, probably because, you know, it's, Lord, I want you to finish me off. He didn't want anybody to see this. He didn't want anybody to see him like that. Have you ever been like that, where you're done? I mean, the Lord has provided for you, but you hit this time of weakness where you're just, I'm finished. It's over. I'm not like my father's were. He's like, I'm not as good as everybody else. You know, Satan lies to us, and he tells you you're not as good as everybody else, and you might as well just end it. It's over for you. Well, it's not over for you, okay? He's having a moment of weakness here, and he asked God to finish him off. But let's see what the Lord does here, okay? First Kings 19 and 5. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals, and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose 
and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, this is how the Lord helps people when they're down, when they're not feeling like they're best, when they, they feel defeated. This is the Lord's people here, okay? Believers I'm talking about that have done faithful work in God's service here. When they experience a time of despair, what does God do? We've seen it here. He encourages them. He encouraged Elijah. So I want you to take a look at this. He didn't kick him while he was down. He didn't uh, kick him right straight in the teeth and say, now suck it up, buttercup. Come on, let's keep going. He didn't talk to him like that. He encouraged him. But look at this. An angel touched him. I think that's amazing. Did you know that you have angels that have been given charge over you? He touched him, and he gave him food to eat, and it says it was a cake, okay? And if it was an angel that gave him a cake that was a food cake to eat, then that means Elijah had angel food cake, right? (laughs) Now, I like angel food cake, but the text doesn't say here if it came with strawberries and Cool Whip on it or not, but I'm sure it tasted absolutely heavenly, okay? (laughs) Well, this is a fantastic moment here, despite my attempt at dramatizing it a little bit. But Elijah was given enough food to sustain him, to keep him going for 40 days, all the way to travel to Mount Horeb, which is the same as Mount Sinai. You you recall Mount Sinai in the Bible. So from that parallel, there's a good story in here that Elijah took It was to Sinai. It was much like the 40-year journey that the nation of Israel took when they exited from Egypt, when they were sustained by manna because they were in the wilderness to learn how to trust in God's provision. Elijah was worried. Oh, what am I going to do? I'm not like everybody else. I'm alone. Just kill me. Take me out now. It's enough. I'm fin- I'm done. Elijah's going to have to learn how to trust in the Lord, much like it, the Israelites did for 40 years. Israelites did 40 years of this. Now, Elijah would do 40 days, probably of a lot of the same lessons, how to trust more in the Lord. Okay. Now, travel time to Mount Horeb was about 14 days, not 40. So it's pretty obvious that Elijah was not in any big hurry. He had a lot to learn from the lessons that the Lord was going to teach him. 1 Kings 19.9. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So look at what's on Elijah's mind at this point, okay? He has the same thing on his mind as in the previous chapter. He was talking about the Israelites' covenant. And it's no wonder that God brought him to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, because this is the same place where God brought Moses and the Israelites when he first established the very covenant that Elijah was concerned about. So the Lord asked him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Remember, Elijah's name means Yahweh is my God. Yahweh is my God. Elijah was running from Jezebel out of fear. He was afraid. And the Lord asked him, he said, what are you doing here, Mr. Yahweh is my God? You hear this? You hear the tone? You think that might put a little realization on him, right? What are you doing here, Yahweh is my God? (laughs) 
But Elijah said he felt like he was all alone. But I want you to take notice, though, what happened to his thinking. Okay, when you feel like you're it, when you forget that God's with you, when you forget that God is helping you out in these kind of things, you you, you seem to kind of lose track of a lot of stuff that's going on. I want you to notice that while he felt alone, all he spoke about was God's prophets being killed, Israel's out of the covenant, the altars were torn down, all this bad stuff, all this negative, terrible things. Somehow, Elijah seemed to forget about all the great victories that the Lord had just given him on Mount Carmel. He raised that widow's boy from the dead. She was about to starve and die. He This miraculous thing that, that brought them food. When Elijah was out in the wilderness, ravens brought him meat to eat. I mean, all of a sudden, he's not thinking about any of that. All he can think about is the bad stuff. Now, whenever we feel, I mean, let's put you and I in this. Don't just point it at Elijah. Whenever you and I feel alone like this, we have a tendency to focus on nothing but the negatives. Everything's so bad, everything's so terrible, and we forget and omit all the blessings and all the victories that God has done for us. Elijah was overlooking God's protection and his provision, and he replaced it with, I'm alone, everybody's out to get me. You you hear this, you see what's going on. This is not necessarily the case. Yes, Jezebel is out to get him, but the Lord has been with him every step of the way, provided, protected. He protected him from King Ahab all this time. He hid him out there in the wilderness where nobody could find him. Well, what's he got to worry about? He's playing the victim card is what he's doing. A lot of people do that. This isn't a new thing. They've been doing this for centuries, playing that victim card. Everybody's out to get me. I'm alone. Oh, it's it's over. I, I can't take it anymore. And here's another thing, though, today also. Most people, they like to kick people when they're down. You ever notice on the news, when you turn on the news, somebody messed up, made a mistake. Oh, get him. You know, let's let's bring this guy down to the ground. Everybody starts casting their stones, right? Okay. I want you to watch how God is going to react to Elijah here in this time. Elijah's having a time of weakness. He wants to give up. Okay. I've been there. I, I know how it feels. You do too. All right. He's done. But I want us to see what God does. He will not give Elijah some kind of a harsh lecture, but a demonstration of how the Lord works. Watch this. 1 Kings 19.11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Okay. He's still feeling the exact same way. He had moved a bit. 
after seeing all this this wind, earthquake, and fire that tore the mountains up and shook everything, he feels exactly the same as he did before. I mean, this depression that he has is really, really deep. But instead of criticize Elijah for feeling like this, I want us to have sympathy for him. First thing I want to tell you is that ministry work is hard. It's very, very hard. Ministry work is heavy. It even got to Moses. And, you know, for pastors and ministers, I've seen it happen where if a pastor messes up just an inch, a lot of the people under his care that he has ministered to for years, if not decades, all of a sudden they're mad at him. We're done. We're leaving. We're not going to this church anymore because you messed up. And they just kick this guy while he's down. And friends, I'm going to tell you right now, that is not fair. It is wrong. It's ungodly. You need to go restore this man. You need to encourage him to get back up again. Don't just say, well, you messed up and I'm leaving, but I can't trust this church anymore because I need to be fed. Hey, he's a human being as much as you are. Go and encourage him. Ministry is hard. Elijah was having a hard time. Moses was having a hard time. I've had a hard time in ministry. You have had hard times in your walk with Christ too. Give people some time. Have some sympathy for crying out loud, for goodness sake. Have sympathy for people that are trying to do ministry work, and they have a moment of weakness, a time of defeat and despair, maybe even depression. Be sympathetic to them. Don't kick them while they're down. Help them up. And so there's a lot of warfare that you can't see that goes on in ministry work. Now, we need to think about Elijah, the heaviness he had been through. He'd been through near starvation, lots of travel. There were no cars and jumbo jets. He's been through warfare of the likes of which we haven't seen. And and friends, I'll tell you too, your friends that you're you're holding with that little grudge, well, I don't know about them anymore. They are going through warfare of the likes you haven't seen either. Okay, have a little sympathy for them. And so any one of us would feel exactly like Elijah was feeling right here. We all would, okay? He was overwhelmed. You ever been overwhelmed? Of course you have. Have some sympathy. And also Jezebel's threat here was pretty much the straw that broke the camel's back. Now he's really had enough. I mean, he was holding it together as best as he could. Now he's just broke. He's done. I'm finished. Take me out of here. And so the Lord took Elijah outside. And he showed Elijah more massive, destructive terror, okay? In a big wind, it broke rocks and cut through mountains and and tore the land apart. I mean, that would scare you, wouldn't it? Okay. The wind did that, but the Lord was not in the wind, it says. Okay. Then there was a thunderous earthquake, more damage, oh, terror all around, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then a raging hot fire, oh, no, wrath of God stuff, okay, but the Lord was not in the fire. Friends, I want you to stay with me on this. This is good, okay? And then after the fire, it says, a still, small voice, which means a gentle whisper. Okay, do you see this? I'm trying to dramatize with you to help you understand. You see this still, small voice. That's what Elijah needed. God does judge with wind, fire, and earthquakes. Absolutely, he does. But this is not God's first response to his people who love and serve him. Okay, we need to remember God is a gentle God. Oh, he's fire and brimstone. He wants to kill everybody. (laughs) Wait a minute. If you're his, no, 
He's a still small voice. He's encouraging, uplifting. Elijah needed loving encouragement at this time, okay? Not a sharp slap of criticism for having a time of weakness like people like to do to each other today. Don't do that. Be courteous, be sympathetic, be uplifting like Christians should. Your pastor messes up, you go help him. If he messes up, maybe he's overwhelmed. Maybe that's a sign you need to do a little more for the guy, okay? Help him get back up. So God does operate through harsh judgment. Yes, he does. And Elijah saw him do it at Mount Carmel. We've seen him do it many times in the Bible. But for Elijah, God was not in the wind. As far as the earthquake and in the fire, God was not in those things, but a still, small voice, a gentle whisper. You see, the Lord met Elijah where Elijah was at. Elijah was in a place where he needed some gentle encouragement, and that's where the Lord met him to help him out. Now, even though Elijah was in a bad place, he was in a wrong place. I give up. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. He's only looking at the negatives. Oh, we want to criticize somebody for that. Oh, how dare you? God did all this stuff for you. How how could you be like that? You need to look at the good stuff. We, we tend to think like that, don't we? But be a little compassionate with the way you talk to people. God dealt with Elijah gently, a still small voice, and very lovingly. Has anybody forgotten yet that our Lord God is a God of love? He is, okay? God knows how to speak to people. 1 Kings 19.15, then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, and I'm redneck, y'all forgive me, Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay, now I see some neat stuff in here. There's a new king, new king coming and a remnant that has never bowed the knee to anyone else but the Lord. That looks a little bit like a foreshadowing of what you and I have coming, that we are awaiting our king to come, and there's a remnant in Israel that has never bowed the knee to anyone but the Lord. Isn't that great? God knows how to keep his remnant among his people because prophecy's wrapped up in it. That's great. I could go on all day about that. But (laughs) now that Elijah had been encouraged by the Lord, he was now reactivated again to do effective service. He's back in the game. We're back, okay? So the Lord told him to go back, and I want you to set up new leadership for Israel with two new kings and a new prophet. So remember, Elijah, what was his complaint? I'm all alone. I'm all alone. I'm done. It's over with. Everybody's out to get me. I'm all by myself. Plus, you got to consider all these wicked kings that have been in the story. They were self-appointed. They weren't appointed by God. They appointed themselves. They were killing each other trying to take over the place to be king self-appointed, but now here comes a new leadership structure that was appointed by God, plus 7,000 Israelites who refused to worship Baal. God kept them. He kept them for this time. 
Now, I know there's times when you feel like you're the only one. Hey, just stay the course, stay firm, be encouraged. Your time is coming, just like these 7,000 that they waited there. They put up with Baal worship all this time. Now their time is going to come. Yours is coming too, okay? But what an encouragement this must have been to Elijah to hear this news. He said, I was all alone. Well, guess what? Help is coming. What do you think Elijah is going to do about all this news? He's going to say, okay, God, let's get to it. Let's go. <laughs> First Kings nineteen nineteen. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? Remember, Elijah's name means Yahweh is my God. And he meets a man named Elisha, Elisha, whose name means Yahweh is salvation. And so these two guys, they're going to be a real powerhouse of a tag team match here, okay? They're going to be great together. And so when Elijah put his mantle, it says, his cloak, on Elisha, that symbolized the passing of prophetic authority and power to Elisha. I'm passing the torch here, so to speak. So we can tell that Elisha realized what this meant because he knew he had to leave to go do God's work which is why he said, I need to go say bye to my parents. And Elijah said, yeah, you can go back. What have I done to stop you? So he's saying, yes, please go do it. That's okay. See, Elijah had just been encouraged. He wanted to encourage Elisha as well. First Kings nineteen twenty one. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Okay, this was a big feast. It was like a farewell party. Uh, It was a ministry send-off for Elisha because he had just been called as a new prophet to do ministry work, and the people all celebrated, and they ate, and they all got behind this. And so they sacrificed the oxen that Elisha had been working with, and they burned them up using the wood, probably of the plow that he was using on those oxen to plow the fields and the yoke that the oxen worked with. Now, it's apparent that Elisha's family were probably pretty well off. They had a lot of land. When you consider all these, all these oxen here, that meant he was covering a lot of area. So I want you to consider how Elisha, he was probably well off in what he did with the family business. But Elijah came to him with this calling. Everything he knew, everything he was doing, his job, his career, he just, okay, let's let it go. And he burned up the, the, the oxen's equipment and some of the oxen. And you see how he released his old life that he had to follow. Okay, this is a very similar scenario to Matthew 4.18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And so in our story here, just like Elisha did, Simon and Andrew, they left their nets. They left their income. Elisha left his oxen. He left his fields. He left his people, everything. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set